Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24-7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on-demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this session of the Latchel Property Management Podcast. I'm Ethan Lieber, the CEO of Latchel, and I'm here with our guests today, Brittany Stevens and Marie Tetman from Four and Half, a tech forward marketing agency for property managers. Welcome to the show. Thank you for, for having us. us. I'm so I'm really excited for this podcast because it's kind of like a natural extension of a, a podcast that I was on for four and a half's podcast to talk about how property managers uh, compete with venture backed management companies that are coming into the space, eating up market share, growing crazy fast. And we did a uh, at PM Grow, which was an amazing conference. We also had a fireside chat about this. And so I think a lot of this conversation we'll have today will include the importance of how a company should position itself and build relationships to really just kind of like add the jet fuel to their marketing. And that's what you two know best. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. We're talking to two experts here on how PMs can structure their marketing efforts to best compete. Um, well, let's jump into it. So I'd like to start by giving our listeners some context, just in case they haven't heard of Four and a Half. Can you give us like a brief elevator pitch on what you do? Yeah, definitely. Want me to take this one, Brittany? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, so basically in a nutshell, Four and a Half is a marketing agency that creates and implements owner lead generating plans for property management companies. So our main goal is to help property management companies grow through owner acquisition. And Ooh. everything we do is basically geared towards helping um, these companies get found online by property owners. So we partner with um, our clients, the property management companies, to create the strategies that could target their ideal owner clients through reviews, blog content, their website, property management SEO ads, you, you name it. So anything under the sun to get noticed by property owners. That's awesome. So maybe you can kind of paint a picture for us of like, who would like the right property manager be to start approaching you to get that kind of help? Can I take that, Brittany? Yeah, I mean, really anyone, but not anyone at the same time. So <laughs> a couple, like typically speaking, our best clients are going to be the ones who already have kind of the foundation of the business set up. Mm -hmm. So you have all of your operational side ready to go, ready to grow so that when you start marketing and getting leads, you have the infrastructure to really close those leads because we can do everything under the sun 
to help you get found by property owners. But if you don't have somebody picking up the phone and engaging with those leads, you're not going to, you're not going to get anything from it. Um, but then we also, we do work with a lot of people that are starting from scratch. Cause I mean, in the last five years alone, we've seen a big uptick in just people wanting to get into the property management space to increase mm. or not to increase, but to build kind of like a monthly recurring revenue model where it might be somebody from a different industry that wants to get in. But a lot of times it's people who our, um, who are maybe retiring um, soon or looking towards that, but they've been doing real estate sales for so long and they just mm -hmm. kind of can't keep up with that anymore. So we get people that kind of pivot and want to start property management companies. Um, and in that sense, it's kind of hard because you need to do both at the same time because mm -hmm. marketing does take time. Um, so I, I guess my answer is kind of like get started before you think you need to. Um, but make sure you have the infrastructure to to handle things before you go too hard. Yeah, Lots of I, words. Yeah, I think the, the summary of that is like um, a lot of newcomers believe that, oh, you know, property management, um, I'm just going to manage homes and I'm in real estate. So I kind of know what goes into it. Right. Um, and what happens is they think, oh, I just need leads first and the leads come in, but they haven't even figured out their onboarding process for the owners. Right. Um, they haven't even figured out how to properly market the properties. And so they kind of bite off more than they can chew when the leads start coming in um, and they don't have the, like Brittany said, foundational operational pieces in place. Um, sometimes people come to us asking about marketing and when we ask them hey have you gotten your business license or your you know right. um your license for um doing property management in your state and they're like do do i need it in my state and we're mm. like oh well there are foundational pieces you kind of need to figure out first yeah. before you turn the on the side. yeah yeah Definitely. So, and we'll we'll talk to people and ask them about it. And just if they're if we don't think they're ready for marketing services yet, we'll tell them like, hey, talk to this person, get some of these pieces in place and then talk to us about marketing because you can do them simultaneously. But you do. Um, we do recommend getting at least that initial setup in place before um, before investing in that. You know, one of the things I love about four and a half, too, is you've really built sort of like a connection hub for folks where even if you're talking to someone that's not ready, you know, all the right people to put them yeah. in touch with to build the foundation. Mm -hmm. Now, if, I, if I'm thinking about, let me know if I'm thinking about this right, because I, I, I usually imagine sort of like the journey of acquiring a client. So if I'm acquiring like a new property owner. I kind of think of this like a funnel mm -hmm. and like ultimately you want to track conversion through your funnel and all this cool stuff. But ultimately, like at a high level, we have this funnel, right? And because I don't have a whiteboard, let's just use my <laughs> hands here. So we have this funnel. Like at the end, we have, okay, we got our client, like live on mm -hmm. their services. The top part of this is sort of like that whole marketing chain of how do we start bringing people into the funnel? Yeah. And then once you have all those people, well, you need some part of this funnel to be like your actual sales process, like either me as the owner of my management company, I'm going to be the one to do the selling. Maybe I have a BDM, they'll do the selling. Exactly. You know, we once they sign a contract, we then have to have some level of like onboard them. Mm -hmm. 
And, and it sounds like what you're saying is like, you know, you kind of need, maybe you don't have them all built yet, but you need to at least have sort of the strategy and the idea on how these are going to operate if you really want to make the marketing work. Otherwise, you right. go into the top of the funnel, you give it's them all these leads. It's a funnel with a leads. hole in it. Yeah, you, you, right. don't, you don't have any process then to or bring them down into right, a customer. Right. It's like you have a funnel, but you don't have it going anywhere. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. So any company that kind of has at least the kind of foundation of the funnel from like sales to onboarding mm -hmm. are probably a, a great fit to start thinking about, well, now how do I leverage marketing? Because if you don't have marketing at the top of the funnel, you're just not bringing enough people in. You're just grinding and grinding, trying to figure out where, where do I find people? And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from your perspective when people come to you, is that sort of the case? They're only running like some sales processes, processes. It's all like outbound. They don't really even know how to bring people into the sales process or are they generally kind of running some level of marketing, but not doing it well, not finding the thing that works. What does that look like? Yeah, I would say normally speaking, it's they're, they're doing some level of marketing and maybe they don't even realize they're doing marketing, right? They're like, Oh, I haven't done any marketing in the past. And we'll say, okay, well, how are you getting leads? And they'll list out like five things. And we're like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. your marketing, <laughs> whether it's inbound or outbound, but you are marketing. So most of the time people do come to us after doing a little bit on their own and kind of realizing, Hey, I don't think I, I really know what I'm doing or I don't have the time to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't always have the budget to hire an in-house marketing person. Um, and if you do, your in-house marketing person can't do everything as efficiently as if you, you were to outsource some of it even to somebody like four and a half. Somebody, because four and a half is a person, obviously. Um, sorry, I just thought that was funny that I said that. Um, That's like the Power yeah. Rangers thing where you, yeah. you know, it's a big robot or something. It like is. There's a bunch That's of different the people inside is. the robot. <laughs> yeah. We are the people inside of the robot four <laughs> right. and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Marie, do you have anything else to add to that? Um, no, I think you covered it pretty well. Yeah. It's like 100% people come to us where they are doing some of it. And in situations, we might find that something's broken, right? So mm -hmm. somebody might come to us and say, hey, I don't need help with a sales process. Because that is something that we ask when we're, um, I guess, screening our our prospects. We do, we do that as well, right? We're not going to take somebody as a client if we don't think what we do is going to work for them. Mm -hmm. So we have that conversation and someone might come in and say, oh yeah, I have a BDM. I have a sales process X, Y, and Z. And we, we start the project and we start seeing leads coming in, but they're not churning into clients. So that's kind of like a symptom of a bigger problem. And mm -hmm. is the problem the sales process or is the problem the people we're marketing to? Um, or is it, it could like be, the BDM? Like maybe the BDM? Right is not a training yeah, issue. Yeah, it's trained. Yes. Cool. Right. That makes sense. Um, let's dive into sort of the trends and actual like mechanics behind how any of the listeners can today just like ramp into like, let's, let's supercharge marketing and supercharge our growth. And maybe I'll, I'll bring it back to, to the trend that, that I'm seeing, which is a lot of managers have this demand now and this appetite for growth. It's a huge topic in the industry. How do you increase your door count? How do you increase revenues? Um, and I'm curious, what, what do you think is kind of carrying this trend of management companies looking to invest in that marketing strategy? Yeah, I, I think um, 
this this trend or this like higher demand for like marketing strategy or just like more awareness that hey you need to be doing marketing is partially driven by the fact that um house prices are insane <laughs> pretty much everywhere the, the real estate market is insane and a lot of um owners of rentals are starting to get tempted to maybe cash out on that property um yeah. and you know like finally get some liquidity and do something else about that and um i think i believe what's happening is whereas before um a lot of property management companies are able to kind of survive with word of mouth and just referrals um because you know everyone has attrition but the attrition is manageable enough that they don't really need to do marketing um because all the referrals and word of mouth um coming in is enough to offset that where now they're losing more than maybe they're used to and so there's this kind of panic moment like oh no I have higher attrition. What do I do? And then they're finally thinking of like, well, I guess I need to do marketing. Mm. Um, that that's probably one of the reasons. Yeah, and I think another reason is um, is competition, but that also leads to attrition, right? Mm -hmm. More and more of these of these more and more property management companies are coming up every day. More competition; they're competing with price and things like that. So you need to get in front of people if you want to grow. Um, but the other piece is like people, um, people selling, like Marie mentioned. And there was one other thing I was just going to add. It was on the tip of my tongue and I just forgot what it was. So if I think about it, I'm going to come back to it because there was, there was another piece I wanted to mention. Um, but of course my mind just went blank. <laughs> well, we can't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it happens a lot. So we, we got at least like two high level categories, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the housing market's going crazy. You're going to have all kinds of clients that want to sell and that's going to put downward pressure on your revenues. Mm -hmm. And how do you make up for it? Well, you need to bring in new clients, right? And how do you do it? Well, if your marketing pipeline's healthy and full, it's easier to make up for that. And like a client necessarily selling, that's not something you're going to be able to control with your no matter how good your service is. What you can control is right. them selling with you if you if you if do Right. Yeah, if you, if you have a brokerage, because that's a problem where we talk to people and they don't make it known enough that, hey, when you're ready to sell the property, let me sell it mm. for you. You just, they get notified, the pri Afterwards. hey, the property is sold. I'm not going to need your management services anymore. And does so that half help build that chain to ensure that when you have that brokerage, you're actually the, the one that's closing on that home? Yeah, we absolutely uh, encourage cool. our clients to represent that. So that's part right. of what we do when we're onboarding anybody. We we ask them these questions like, hey, do you do real estate too? Do you have any other lines of business? Mm -hmm. If we're building them a website, we want to make sure that it's very clear on the website. Hey, we can help you with X, Y, Z, and so on with your property. Mm -hmm. um, and in other channels as well, making sure you you mention it, you know, if you have a newsletter, anything like that, or calling people. I have mm -hmm. clients that will, um, this isn't something we do for our clients, but they'll have their BDM check in with their property owners and just say, hey, I know the market's hot right now. Mm -hmm. um, just so you know, if, if you want to sell, you could get some good money from that. Do you want to use us? So it's just keeping the communication really open, but also making sure it's present in your marketing channels. Yeah, I think it's kind of easy to forget that 
you know, the process of providing some service, it, it's this holistic process that starts from marketing and runs all the way through to like the life cycle management. And you can't think of these things as like separated because yes. then you lose that capacity to really push people through the funnel and it's all interconnected. And mm -hmm. in the same way we think like, if I'm going to acquire a client, I think the rule of thumb is like what you need, like seven touch points or something before you yeah. can get that person into mm -hmm. a meeting that, Sell them on a service. Right. It's a lot more than people think. Yeah. Uh, was it like seven, seven to nine or something? I think it's yeah. like you got it. That's like the minimum, right? Um, but the same is going to apply if like one of your uh, clients on the property management side is then going to sell. You have to have like the seven touch points to make them aware hey, we can help you here too. Like, do you want to also be part of this service? Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't just go away that because they're a client doesn't mean by default, you get to do everything they need. Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's a really important thing to note that um, a lot of times when property managers think of owner marketing, they think about before the management contract is signed. But um, we always recommend to our clients that don't like stop thinking about the owners from that point of view, because, you know, you can also market to them while they're your clients. Like if you have other lines of businesses, you can upsell them. Um, especially if you have a brokerage, maybe, you know, you can, maybe you can position yourself, not just as like the property manager who manages their current property, but maybe you can become that kind of consultant. So um, if they have equity in their home, maybe you can educate them on using that equity to maybe expand their portfolio or upgrade mm -hmm. the property, right? Maybe they had a single family home that was kind of outdated. Now there's equity. Maybe you can, you know, the owner can sell that and upgrade to a duplex. Now you have two units you're managing. Be yeah. creative with it um, and kind of like use your marketing to also speak to your customers, not just like, you know, prospects. That's and it starts with understanding, sorry, it, it starts with understanding why they're in, in real estate investing in the first place, right? Like, like if you, if you get to know your clients and really the why and their goals makes it a lot easier to communicate what they need from you. And you have to adapt it based on each person, unless you are super duper, duper, duper hyper-focused. And you're like, I will only work with this very specific type of investor, um, right. which actually did remind me, that's the other thing I was going to mention, um, why people need to grow because property management companies are choosing to drop clients mm -hmm. that take excessive bandwidth and cost them money. They're choosing to drop those clients that aren't their ideal clients so they can get more of the clients that are going to make them money. Yeah, that makes sense. You you don't want to keep caring like the, the ones that are dragging you behind. You want right. to be able to fly quickly and create the most revenue from like that, that strong base you've created. Definitely. Um, maybe we can kind of segue back to one of the other components that you mentioned that's important for having like a great marketing program. And it's how do you outcompete the 10, 20, maybe hundred other, you know, other managers in your, your geo that you're going to be competing against. Um, and so I think here it's, it's kind of good to call out something that we talked about actually in our last podcast together, 
which is about how property managers have a lot of local market knowledge and a strong sense of that community. And they can use this advantage to their benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about like competition and I, I'm curious, how, how do you advise property managers on positioning themselves in a market to play to that advantage and then outcompete other people that might enter? Do you want to take that, Brittany? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first you have to look kind of inwards, let's call it like self-reflection. Um, you have to take a look at what you do and really ask yourself, what makes me special? What makes me different? And oftentimes you'll come up with a list of things that sound really great to you. But then if you do a little bit of research, you'll see that those same things are usually listed as value adds, as benefits for a lot of your competitors. So you have to take it kind of, it's hard. It's very difficult, by the way. Take it deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Marie and I will have spent several hours just with, you know, one specific property management owner to figure this out. And it's an ongoing process because you're going to try things that won't work. Um, and then you adapt. But, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes you see on a property management company's website, we provide peace of mind, we maximize your ROI, we handle the tenant relationships. It's like, those are all things that you do, but really asking yourself, what, what benefit do I add that's different than, mm-hmm. than everybody else? Um, so for us, it's really just asking yourself the hard question and being able to recognize if something isn't unique to you. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times examples for like, like maybe customers that you worked with that you were blown away. You're like, wow, that is a really good kind of well, thing yeah. that's not easily replicated. Or- so the thing is, this is actually um, the client I was thinking of when I mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, when I said, really understand your client. So He'll get, um, shout out to Dave with Realty Solutions. He's my best friend and I love him so much. Um, But (laughs) Marie and I worked really closely together on how to position him for his new website. Um, And it it goes, this, what we did with him goes a lot deeper than what we normally do when a client just signs up for services. It is kind of like a separate consultation thing because it does take so much time to really figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's a smart guy. He, he actually has a marketing background from before he was in property management. So we, we just love like jamming together about stuff. But one of the things that he does when he gets a lead um, and he's training his team to do is say, Hey, you know, what's your exit strategy? Like, what are you trying to get to? Um, And that's kind of something that we uh, advertised on his website. It's like, Hey, we're not, we, we do these things don't get me wrong. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this, but we're on the journey with you. So we're going to talk to you and figure out what does the end look like, right? Mm -hmm. So like you're investing um, or you have an investment. um, What do you want to do with it? What's your goal with it? Because people will call him and say, oh, I just, you know, unfortunately my dad just passed away and I have this property. I think I want to rent it out. Yeah. Um, so but instead of like, why. great, here's our management contract, right. they go deeper, like, hey, like, talk me through what your end goal is, like in five years, in 10 years, where do you see this going? Right. And then it's more of like a more consultative way of um, bringing in right. their leads, um, which we felt was very unique. Right. I love how like, it's so easy to connect that kind of branding uniqueness that he built 
to an actual feeling that someone's going to have leaving that meeting. Yeah. Because if I leave a meeting with a typical, you know, oh, this is how we do our management. You won't have to think about it. Right. Versus, oh, this is how we do the management and you get all these great benefits. But let me understand what, yeah, what's that? What's the extra strategy for you? What What's that long-term goal for you? I've left feeling like, well, I really got to engage with someone on this like deeper level about like really what I need. Right. They care. That's an interesting. They care about me, not just about getting me to sign the agreement. Because he might say, you know what? I don't think you should rent this out. I, I think you should sell it. Or I think you should flip it. Or I think, you know, whatever alternative there is, you know, like they're transparent about, hey, we're not just going to tell you to sign up for our services. We're going to make sure mm-hmm. it makes sense. And that might turn into somebody um, not not signing up for services, but you have a happy um, advocate in your corner too. Like that's a really good way to just build awareness within the community. Yeah. And the thing with that company too is they they offer a lot of other um, lines of businesses outside of just property management. So that kind of process allows them to literally have an opening to talk about all the ways that can help a mm. real estate investor. Because mm-hmm. um, I believe they also have um, like rehab services and they also right. have like maintenance. Community line. management. They have community yes, management. So- yeah. Yeah. And somebody went to them once and said, Hey, Hey, I think we're ready for your property management services for, for our homeowners association or our community um, association. And they're like, okay, tell us about the community and the prospects said, Oh, it's not built yet. Um, we haven't even acquired the land yet and all of these things. So they were able to say, Hmm, I don't think we can really help you yet. It sounds like you need um, a real estate attorney to do X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's just an example to kind of like further add context to what Marie was saying. But how do you take that mm-hmm. and explain that on the website or explain yeah. that in your marketing materials? Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. And that's where it's kind of like you do have to just, it's it's a creative process and it's a testing. It's It's something you have to continuously test and monitor and say, hmm, people aren't resonating with the way that we're describing this as well um, as we thought they'd be. Um, Maybe let's try something different. And if you have the capabilities to A-B test different words Mm. or or phrases or taglines, that's always something we recommend doing. Um, Specifically, we do that for our our Google Ads campaigns, right? We Mm. use a tool called Unbounce where they have um, an algorithm that can pretty much put one version of a page in front of somebody that they think is going to um, resonate with that page more than like a different option that you have. And that's and really you cool. get to choose the best yeah. one. Yeah. It's really cool being able to play with that and test different phrases, different explanations. Are there any like questions or like hacks that help your clients or a property manager kind of start coming up with some of these ideas and maybe like come up with a a few ideas that they can then AB test. One of like my favorite hacks is just looking at your reviews Mm -hmm. um, or, or doing a survey. Maybe if you don't have a lot of reviews, your current clients just ask them like, Hey, what's, what's the favorite thing? What's your favorite thing about working with me? Um, Cause a lot of times the language that, that your clients are using to describe Mm -hmm. you or the benefits that they 
um, highlight. Say they highlight. Yeah, thank you, Marie. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be different than what you think in your head, right? Mm. Yeah, um, like a a, sim a simple example for example for example is like the term rent ready, right? Like everyone in the property right. management industry thinks, oh, that's everyone knows that term. But we help you turn owner, properties. Yeah, we help you turn properties. That means nothing to most property management to to most property owners. So um, when we say, "Hey, look at your reviews," just try to look at the words they use to describe the things that you want to convey, and then run with it. Because that's probably how others think uh, of of that thing too. Yeah. yeah. And we That's use awesome. a tool. Um, one of my favorite tools is also um, answerthepublic.com. It's kind of a, if you don't, if you're kind of starting from scratch, you can plug in different um, ideas mm -hmm. and it will populate lists, charts, graphs of all um, of the different ways people are searching for related content online. And that can kind of help um, get some for, ideas uh, yeah. flowing. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Um, I think that's going to be super helpful for folks. Like I, I think a lot of people look at the negative aspects of their reviews and don't pay attention to like, what are the positives? How do I leverage these kind of superpowers mm -hmm. to really amp up my business and amp up my marketing? And, and Well, and that brings up a good point too, because not enough people pay attention to the negative reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So if you do, if you are getting a lot of negative reviews, we understand that prospective renters can be ruthless or even current renters. Um, that was a nice word to use, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> ruthless. So it's, it's like, it's hard to look at negative reviews without a bias. Um, but our recommendation to all of our clients is try to look at those reviews objectively and see if you can identify holes or opportunities in your process to make it a little bit better. Um, you know, we work with somebody um, who I, I love her because what she does is she, if she gets a bad review or a complaint because someone gets declined a property. So they leave a bad review and say, I paid, you know, $30 for my application fee. I didn't get the property because of my credit or whatever. She'll call them and she'll say, Hey, do you, do you mind coming in? I mean, you know, pre COVID, but you know, California's open up again. You might but, hop, hopping on a zoom. <laughs> right. Right. You might hop in on a zoom with me. Um, but she'll sit down with them and say, Hey, I, I'm, I understand that it's frustrating that you got declined, but I, I wanted to kind of go over your application with you and kind of ex for, for when you apply to property for a property to rent in the future, here's the criteria that they're, that they're looking at. Um, so maybe you'll have mm. better success. And she's had people go in and completely change their review because of it. And it's like, I'm not telling oh, everybody awesome. to sit down because <laughs> a lot of people don't have the time to do that, but she's a busy business owner and she, and she does make time for it. So if you could find things similar um, similar things to do to try to like change the experience. I, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but uh, I do want to ask a follow-up with certain operational things like maintenance. There are platforms that kind of protect online reviews. Like for example, in Latchel, we collect the right. review first and we don't have to, we're not going to pass a bad review forward, mm -hmm. but a positive one we do allow. 
But when it comes to like leasing, a lot of our clients, the only bad reviews that end up being left on their page are generally like exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But then it's really hard to do what she's doing and sit down with every yeah, single. Right, right. Are there other, um, you know, I know this isn't like the purpose of this discussion. We'll get back to the marketing in, in a bit here, but are there other ways for managers to respond to these types of reviews and manage the reviews? Because I think a lot of managers are like, I don't even have control over this. Like you had a terrible credit score. Of course I wasn't right. gonna, mm -hmm. but then they're getting bad reviews. Like, right. Well, you know, it's maybe tough there to are say, no ways, but. yeah. I mean, the only, I, that's a good question. Something I can think of is just like, maybe, maybe there's a handout or like, maybe you can make like a test. Hey, before you apply, here's a checklist. But I'm sure people do all mm. things like that and you, you can't avoid it. it th that's the bummer when we do see companies with excellent reputation, except for the people that don't actually rent from them or work with them. That's always a struggle. But I think trying is doing your best to educate on the front end. So maybe before allowing someone to submit an application there there's you know just a handout they have to read kind of explaining it um maybe that could work but i'm sure yeah, there are people that do that yeah I, good question I, something to think about yeah you know the two kind of mechanisms i see for this are what you're saying like hey before i even take your application just fill out the survey and i can tell you like real quick the only issue I see with that is if a good chunk of your revenue comes from application fees. Right. That might yeah. Hurt your, yeah. Your line. But there is something interesting about this gap that I see everywhere on the leasing side, but you see it with when I, when a company sells to an owner, we all know that if you set the right expectations, whatever happens afterward, generally you're going to manage the downside much better as long as you set appropriate expectations and you're right i think it might be as simple as just setting an expectation before that application is filled out that like you might not be accepted we do not refund these things mm -hmm. and we look at a specific set of criteria like we're not yeah. making a decision based off whether or not we like you we're only making a decision based off how your application comes right through. maybe you can provide some stats like one in every 50 people gets accepted or something, <laughs> you know, wh whatever it is, because yeah, it will vary depending on market. Yeah. Most people will read it and be like, well, I want the unit, I'm mm -hmm. apply no matter what, but mm -hmm. at least now they're prepared. That'd be an interesting thing for a company to test. <laughs> like yeah. you can run it on half their residents that apply, <laughs> don't run it right. on the other half. Who left us the, the bad review? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, let's get back to kind of the core topic here, which was kind of fueling the, the marketing piece, bringing in the right people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when it comes to investing in marketing, I think there's a mindset that higher spending on acquiring customers is ultimately negative for a business. But at the same time, we also know that higher quality customers are going to lead to more retention, more profitability. So how do you kind of see property ma managers just balancing those two things and kind of creating the right marketing mix to get, you know, get the best business results? Yeah, I, I think that um, when the statement of like, oh, higher marketing spend is put out there, um, it gives this impression that like, oh, there's like this absolute value that is considered, 
you know, too much, you know, uh, mm -hmm. marketing spender, high. Um, but I do want to make it clear that it's actually relative, right? So it really depends on your business and your market, your area. Um, like marketing a property mansion business in a state like California looks so much different from a state in the Midwest, for example. And so what I would say is, um, before before even kind of labeling your marketing spend as like oh too high too low um, make sure you kind of know your business numbers first um mm -hmm. so understanding um your annual contract value right so basically um how much a contract is worth to you um understanding also your lifetime your customer lifetime value so how long do owners stay with you and how much money during that whole time are you getting from your owners and then that kind of gives you an idea like well if each owner brings me this much money over this a span of three four five years um what percent of that make sense to spend to acquire them right mm. um so if you're just coming up with a number um out of thin air like you know 200 to acquire a customer seems high or low and it like exists in a vacuum i don't think you're doing your business um you know any favors uh, so i would suggest like first understanding like is it truly high compared to the total customer lifetime value you're going to get for each contract you close. Um, did you have anything to add, Brittany? Yeah. And, and the only other thing that I would add is going even a little bit deeper. If you have the data, right? If you're a new company, it's going to take some time to gather all of that and to build yeah. it up. But say property owner A costs you $500 and stays with you a year, but property owner B, it, completely different type of a property owner costs you 1500 to acquire but stays with you 10 years that's different too mm -hmm. so it's it's also like what do you care more do you care about growing by doors or do you care about growing your, your profit margin mm -hmm. and having people that you actually want to work with so sometimes if you're starting out your priority might might be to get those clients that aren't your ideal clients, but you're willing to work with them while you build up your portfolio. Mm. Um, it's like so prioritizing think, doors first. Right, right. And most of our clients that have been in the business for, you know, decades really now are starting to change their priorities. Mm. Um, so I think you it You mean can like change. shift from that, oh, I need more doors to like, right. oh, well, what is the margin? Equation? Yeah, we have so many clients that are like, I don't care about how many doors I manage. I care about how much money I'm making, which yeah. is right, right. Oh, that's yeah. interesting thought there. Because <laughs> um, sometimes it is just a glamour. Eh, a vanity glamour, metric. A vanity right. metric. Maria always knows what I'm trying. Like, I'll throw out a word that isn't quite the right term. And she'll be like, <laughs> I know. I know, I know what Brittany's trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Translator. <laughs> um, you know, I think maybe we can just take a second to dig into this because mm -hmm. I feel like like the numbers can be complex. Mm -hmm. And I think even like knowing how do I want to calculate the number mm -hmm. can be different across companies and it's hard to know like where the value is. So I'll put in a little bit of my own thought here and I want you to tell me if like I'm on the right track as, as I explain this. So 
it sounds like what you're saying is in terms of knowing like how much should I spend on marketing, ultimately it comes down to like what room do you have and the revenue you drive and the profits you drive. And so the example would be, well, if I know what, if I close a contract on one home, let's just say like based on the rent or whatever, you know, uh, I, I'm going to make, let's just say 20 grand. I'll say 10,000. Nice round number. Easier when we do the math. 10,000 bucks a year. That's how how much I'm going to make on this one home, or maybe it's a little portfolio from an owner. If I sign this contract with this owner, that's 10 grand. And I know that my operating margin is, let's say, 20%. So if, if if my revenue is 10 grand, that's all we're looking at. I know that the profits left over is 20%. So I have two, 2,000 bucks left over every year, right? And now I can flow this into, well, when I think about the marketing spend, what's the cost, all the costs baked in to acquire that company? Well, if it costs me $2,000, then I know, okay, I don't make money the first year. That's break even. But year two, three, four, I'm just pulling in that two grand. And if I know I can keep a customer if my whole like average lifetime is five years, then I know my lifetime value is the four years that I'll make the two grand times the two grand. My lifetime value is eight thousand bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So if I, yeah. if I spend two, I thought you were quizzing us on math for a second. Is, is that sort of the right <laughs> way? Yes, one hundred percent. And and so when you're digging into the numbers and kind of educating folks on like, Hey, here's how much we should be spending. Are you breaking these things down in such a way where you're able to kind of at least sort of give that client like an idea of what would be profitable in marketing spend and what would be like, Hey, this is probably too high at this point. You're not going to generate enough profits. Yeah. So that's something that um, our account managers will talk to their clients about if they don't. A lot of our clients do nowadays have that data. Like I'll be surprised. They'll be like, oh, here's my spreadsheet with all of my, you know, all of my numbers. And and it'll be great seeing that. But if they don't really have an idea, um, we do have a workbook that we'll give to our clients where they can kind of we tell them how to how to gather that information, what what calculations to use, and they can kind of use that workbook to reference. And then if they do, we like to get a copy so that <laughs> so that cool. we know too. That's great. Right? Is there like a rule of thumb for like what the ratio should be? Either like LTV over acquisition cost or some other like nice number you could share with the listeners so they, they can go check their books and be like, am I better than that or am I worse? <laughs> Yeah, in general, a a healthy kind of ratio would be uh, like the customer lifetime value to your customer acquisition costs is like three to one. So um, your customer lifetime value ideally uh, would be like three times how much you're spending to acquire that customer. Um, That's like a general kind of like ratio that is considered healthy. So obviously, depending on your goals as a business too, right? Like, that ratio might be, you know, not aggressive enough. Like if you're prioritizing door count for whatever reason, like maybe your exit strategy as a property management business owner is to get acquired. So you want, you know, the the book of business to be the more doors, then obviously like you adjust for that. But in in general, um, if you're 
if you're spending um, kind of like if your customer lifetime value is three times how much you're spending, you're kind of like good. Um, and then if your ratio is off, like, hey, I'm my customer lifetime value is like five times, 10 times what I'm spending. That's just like a clue, like, hey, I'm not growing enough. And I'm seeing that my ratio is off. My customer lifetime value is like 10 times my customer acquisition cost. Maybe that could be the culprit, right? <laughs> so awesome. yeah, it's okay. just something to, to kind of um, give you a benchmark. Yeah, because somebody might be doing, and it's important to make sure you're averaging out it out based on marketing channel, right? Because an organic um, inbound strategy is going to be a little bit more affordable than an outbound strategy. So if you're just looking at the lifetime customer value for your outbound, I mean, depending on what outbound you're doing, but let's say we're doing um, let's say we're doing direct mail or we're doing paid ads. That's going mm -hmm. to be more expensive. But if you balance out the cost with the organic side, it's okay to spend a little bit more money on that side as long as you're getting more opportunities in your overall ratio. Um, that's awesome. And you guys yeah. have to set those channels up for the right tracking. Yeah. And then a quick PSA from me to the all <laughs> listeners. Lifetime value is need to be inclusive of your operating cost. So if you have a higher margin business, you actually are going to have a much better LTV to CAC and you're going to have more well, CAC is customer acquisition costs, right? LTV lifetime value. If you have a better operating margin, your LTV is higher, which means your LTV to CAC is better, which also gives you this room to increase the acquisition cost when you need, and you can spend a lot more money on marketing if you have better operating margins. And I think when uh, the reason I say this is if you connect it to wh why for some reason can these venture back companies spend so much more money on marketing? Well, part of it is like they've built so much automation in the operation that they have higher operating margin. If you have higher operating margin, you get to spend a lot more on marketing and it doesn't really impact you. Um, this is this is cool. Bring bring all these things together. Um, well, let me hop to my next question, though. <laughs> and we kind of talked about this early on, but I want to come back to it because we're talking about you know this kind of different growth phases, understanding your business, and some of that takes a little bit maturity. But at what point in a company's growth do you think it's a good time for them to really focus? on spending more money on marketing and implementing the types of marketing automations that four and a half offers? Um, oh, it, it depends because it's, it's like, are we talking? It's never too soon because you can start small. You don't have to go all or nothing. Um, we, I, I would say something you really should start sooner than later is building your reputation and you don't have to have 5,000 doors to do that. You could have mm. 50 and you might not need, you might not need our automated reputation service at that time, but you could, you know, we have some kind of like DIY type packages where people can have a little bit of what we offer, but still keep the costs down, um, until they grow enough to be able to afford it. Cause I think the biggest mistake that people make is starting too late. Mm. Um, they've already lost, you know, X number of dollars in client attrition. And they're kind of like climbing the wall 
to, to dig out of the hole. Um, so there are small things you can do kind of like to set the foundation. Like mm -hmm. if you are a property management company and you don't have a website, if you don't have a Google, my business page, um, it's going to be really hard to grow if you're a startup right. without the basics. Yeah. Right. Or without, you talked about some people don't think too. about that. Yeah. I remember going yeah. to a restaurant, like a, there was a cool re new restaurant, um, that I went to that my friend told me about and I tried to look them up and I couldn't find them on Google, my business. And I was, I was like, after a couple beers, I was like, I, you guys really need to have a Google, my business page. And that's what like, made them so cool. No one knew about them except right, for exactly. Friends. It's like, it's like the speakeasy <laughs> of restaurants. I'm like, how are you yeah. guys getting business? But the same thing happens with property management companies where it's like a lot can happen just by putting those foundational pieces in place. You don't need, um, you don't necessarily need automation in the very beginning. And, and it's important to point out that, um, you know, there is automation versus strategy. You must mention branding positioning. It's, it's, it's marketing is never just a hit it and forget it type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think once people know who they are, um, and the audience that they're speaking to, which we can help with, then they can start thinking about how can I automate this? How can I kind of streamline this to do right. as much as much as possible with the dollars that I have? So when you guys are consulting with someone to help them kind of build this whole strategy, it sounds like you're actually completely tailoring, not, I mean, the types of services you'll offer, but you're also, it sounds like completely tailoring what they should do first based off like the life cycle in their business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That's really yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it, it's not cookie cutter, right? Like a, a yeah. business. Yeah. Something that works for a business that's just starting out in Florida may not work for a business that's been, you know, in operation for two years, you know, in Nebraska, right. for example. And we have to explain that to people because we do have customers that will say, Oh, just do what you always do for everybody. We, we can kind of give you something cookie cutter, but it's not going to yeah. be worth it's, it's not going to be worth it to you. And it's not your campaign, your project won't be as successful. So those are conversations, conversations that we have to have with people and, and educate on why it is so important to differentiate yourself and tailor your marketing message. And is this only about size? Or would it be fair to say that a company that's just starting up, and a company that might have 500 doors? may actually need the same types of like infrastructural things before you can get advanced enough with like a paid marketing strategy. Absolutely. If you're trying to hit the ground running, we have companies that reach out to us that have zero doors and, you know, we do have to make sure it's the right thing for them mm -hmm. um, to, to take on this kind of commitment because it is, it's not a just financial commitment. It's a time, time commitment. It takes time. You can't, get everything up and running and expect leads to come two weeks after your website's launched. So they need to understand and have the capital, which it's, I mean, depending on your situation, it doesn't, I say capital and I feel like it sounds kind of scary. Like, Oh my gosh, am I buying a home? But, Is that a capital C or? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, but you just have to make sure you have the, you do have the budget to invest long-term instead of starting, um, something and giving it a few months and, and ending it. So we do find more established businesses understand that a little bit better and they're more, mm -hmm. um, 
more realistic with the goals that they want to achieve with marketing. They know they have to pay to play um, yeah. where sometimes newer companies don't may not have that experience and, and they might not understand that. But if you are a company that understands you do need to invest in marketing, yeah. you could be doing the exact same thing as the company um, that has 500 doors under management. Yeah. And I, I do want to kind of, circle a, a thing that Brittany said, um, I think like it's a mindset thing, right? If you think that, oh, I'm going to do marketing for like three months, six months. Um, Don't do and, it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, be because that's what I can afford, maybe wait a little bit because it does take a while for you know, you to reap the benefits, right? It's not exactly like a tap where you turn it on, leads come, you turn it off, and then leads don't come. Um, it like marketing is more holistic than that. Um, it's it's a function of like timing and message. So you can have the best message in the world that resonates with your perfect client, but if it hits them at the wrong time, um, then they're not going to buy now. Um, right. Or if you hit them at the right time, but the messaging doesn't resonate, then they're not going to buy either. So if you're just thinking of it short term, um, that will be really tough because your expectations don't really meet reality. So I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I feel like a, a hard thing for anyone to track in any business would probably probably even harder in management when you're working with like all kinds of different property owners and clients mm -hmm. is the two factors that I see impacting there are one sales cycles, mm -hmm. which is do you actually know from first point of interaction and engagement with the client, which might not be you talking to them, it might be them mm -hmm. seeing an ad. What's that cycle from that in first engagement to them actually signing a contract with you? Mm -hmm. and I, I'd be curious to know from any listeners, like what is your sales cycle? And maybe you have some ideas around what a good sales cycle should be. Yeah. I, you know, what I've found is that generally most people will close pretty quickly, like within a week. Some people's sales cycle is three days, but then some people's mm. sales cycle is three weeks. It depends on the person. That would be interesting to look at because I would think that we have a lot of data available to us if our clients use Lead Simple. They have a bunch of like really cool reports and that that is one of the the metrics in there is your sales cycle. Um, but oftentimes the unfortunate part is we see that most people that are using a CRM don't use it as, as best as they can. So certain metrics like that, you'd think, right? Like in an ideal world, I'd be able to go into Lead Simple and say, here, yeah. here's the average cycle time for all of our clients. It's not easy stuff to track though. I mean, if you're using yeah, direct hard. mail, like how are you supposed to track of oh, the first time I interacted with an owner at that property was this direct mail three months ago. Then I had it's a, a second interaction to track two months everything later. specifically. Yeah. 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 But ultimately Absolutely. like the sales cycle affects how effective the marketing can, not effective, but the length of time it takes marketing mm -hmm. to cycle through. Because if you have a 90 day sales cycle and I start marketing today, the earliest I could possibly show results is 90 days later. And the right. second compounding factor here is actually marketing is a grind because it's constant experimentation. Yeah. And if I have to experiment for 60 days to find the perfect thing that works in my sales cycle from first point of contact or first like engagement, mm 
is 90 days, you're talking like five months, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it only took 60 days to really figure everything out, you then have that sales cycle yeah. and maybe it takes five months just to get your first fruition right. from mm -hmm. it, you know? Um, and it's even harder in, in property. It's it property owner marketing. It's specifically hard because there yeah. really isn't a large pool of data to pull from. So 90 days, that's, that kind of is the earliest. And sometimes depending on the market and the volume of activity, it might be six months, it might be a year. And that's, what's really hard. And that's kind of why we have to keep track of what works in different areas, what, what works for different personas. Uh, because if you think of all of the, what, or if you can imagine all of the traffic you get to your, if I'm a property management company and I get 5,000 visits, unique visitors to my website a month, really about eight to 10% of those are probably property owners. And some of those property owners are current owners. So it really limits the um, statistical significance of the data that you're working with. So you do yeah. have to kind of go through it with a comb and, and look at the, the, page flow if you're talking about a website right this is why outsourcing marketing is far more effective because you, like if you're only doing marketing you best like you can't put your business on pause for five months while you're figuring this out and like hiring someone to do it full time is like just as complicated because they can't do all the things necessary to pin up everything and they have to learn a lot of times people yeah. will hire outsource their marketing company we we work with people all the time who you know come to us and say hey i'm i'm trying to decide if i should use you or this local company or you or somebody else and we have people that come to us a year or two later saying hey actually i ended up going with another company but it it didn't work I, they said i was getting all of these leads but when i looked at them they were all tenant leads Oh yeah, right, right, or or like um, vanity metrics. Well, it's like if you don't understand word. management to the core, it's hard to do marketing right. for it and mm -hmm. build yourselves all around that. Yeah, and uh, we're running out of time here, so I'll just you know say it as plainly as I can. Like, prove it to me. Would love to hear some of the success <laughs> stories you've had. You mentioned Dave, but what other kind of like proof can you share with listeners? Like, Hey, here's what good marketing does for you. Yeah. So, I go? um, I can take this one. Um, so we actually have, um, a client in Washington, real estate gladiator, shout out to Catherine and Tracy. Um, and so, you know, the, the thing with them is um, they had the correct mindset um, in terms of like thinking of marketing as this holistic thing that is sustaining. It's not like a temporary like, oh, we'll try this for like three months. If it doesn't work, we're going to stop. Um, and they were actually able to double their portfolio. And um, the, the what I believe worked really well was um, – they were very engaged. So they, they followed our advice, um, their account manager's advice. And, um, but not only that, they didn't just stop at marketing. They also understood the value of like a solid, you know, sales process. So, hmm. um, we were helping them with their marketing. Um, it really helped that they took the time to understand themselves. They took the time to understand the perfect fit of the client. And so we were able to 
push that in their marketing. But on the backside, they actually put processes in place so that when the leads do come in, when the phone calls come, um, they had, it was very clear who was accountable mm -hmm. to follow up, how many times to follow up. And they had a very, very smooth transition from the sales team to the ops team. So the entire mm -hmm. process was seamless for the onboarding. And so that also helped boost their reviews because the owners were like so impressed from start to finish. Um, so it almost Which was then like, fed back into the marketing. Exactly. It's a cycle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How long did that take? Um, at least a year. I, I, I remember when we were talking to them about it, it was funny because um, it's a two, two women that own the company together and you know, it, it's, they were talking about how um, nerve wracking it was because, you know, we talked to you, we're like, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. So they're sitting here for the first year, pretty much just kind of trusting us, which is what we do ask our clients to do. Mm -hmm. Like trust us. It takes time. But then they said, yeah, after the first year, it, it really did seem like things changed and then it just kind of compounds and you get better and better and better. Um, but if we're being realistic with people and you're, it takes time. It's did the doubling then take like how, how much yeah. more time after that year did that take to double? Because that's like freaking crazy doubling the you business was like a two year process or well. And you know what they said? They were they, they originally started. I think what had happened is they explained it the, the way that they explained it. I loved it. It's like we had like five properties and then we got ten and we doubled it. We doubled it ourselves, but then we got to like a hundred or something, and we're like, okay, and then, yeah, yeah, you go for it, Marie. Yeah, and then they realize like, oh, doubling from a hundred is not something we think we can do ourselves, mm. and so we need outside help. So that's when they started talking to us and that's told them awesome. like, yeah, it, it is going to take time, um, but trust the process. Um, we are going to like hold your hand the whole way. And they did. And um, it paid off. And what's really interesting was last time we had a conversation with them. Um, they said that not only um, were they able to, you know, start getting leads and double their portfolio um, with marketing, but they were also able to acquire like buy books of businesses right. for much cheaper mm. because um, so, so we have this thing we call continuous improvement. So every 90 days, we um, provide some data to our customers about their marketing. And um, they, they, were, they understood their metrics. So they absolutely knew how much their customer acquisition cost was given their marketing on the, on the or, yeah on yeah. the marketing mm -hmm. side organic marketing side and so when they would catch wind of um people selling their doors they would kind of ask like hey how much for those doors and they would compare well they know exactly what they'd have yeah to buy they know the exactly like That's well great. if we spend this money on marketing we'll get more doors than if we just bought this and so they were able to pick and choose the deals and there was literally a deal where they they were open with a seller like hey we we like you and you know we, we like the properties you're selling but it just doesn't make business sense for us because here's the data this is how much it costs us to acquire the same number of doors with our marketing. So it like doesn't make sense. And um, I believe like the seller lowered the price 
and they, they were able yeah, to they get, ended yeah. up buying they, they did awesome. they bought it and i think it was less than half i, I like the original asking wow. yeah i was That's just incredible. trying to look for my notes and i can't find them but i think it was less than half the original asking price because the dude was like okay makes wow. sense yeah. Props to them. That's incredible. It, yeah. And well, was, also was, props to them. I think because they have like stellar reputation and I think the seller really wanted his owners to be taken care of by mm. that company. So it kind of like worked both ways. Right. But it's a good, we love using them as an example because it's not, it's about what you put into it, not mm -hmm. just what it's, it's not it's throwing money effort. at a marketing plan and then just like reaping the Hoping benefits. It. Like they, yeah. they put effort into everything, right? Even the onboarding, like that wasn't part of the thing, but they were so dedicated that mm -hmm. it all worked out. Yeah. So I, I've been budgeting my time management, asking you questions poorly because we're already over. So if <laughs> I can, if I can capture a couple more minutes of your time, um, we can wrap up, but I want to wrap up with like two final questions and we'll package them together. If you could give kind of like a vision for folks of like what actually using an agency is like, how, how does that process happen? How does starting with four and a half to like get set up? How does that work? Just kind of paint a quick picture for us yeah, and then tell so us how we can get in touch with you to start making it happen. Yeah. Um, so maybe I can do part one and you can do part two, Marie. We'll, we'll share this one. Um, yeah. So it all starts with a consultation with, um, you know, our sales team. You typically talk to Logan. He's our director of sales um, and figure out what you actually need from us. Like what, what are you currently doing that's working? What's not working? How can we fit in? Um, because you might not need to replace everything that you're doing with us. We work with people that sometimes do work with other marketing companies at the same mm. time. The most important part is that we're communicating. So we're not overlapping or stepping on anybody's toes, but we figure out what you need. And then we get you set up on a plan that we think is going to work best for you. And then once you sign up and end up actually deciding to work with us, you're assigned uh, an account manager. So your account manager is pretty much your advocate within four and a half. We like to think of them as an extension of your business. So um, you can email your account manager for really anything. And like, like you said earlier, we do try to be that hub of the wheel. So if it's something that we can't help with, we'll try to direct you to somebody who can do research, things like that. Um, but in the beginning, you really just, your account manager gets to know you, gets to know your business, um, has a perfect client call with you where they'll pick your brain about, you know, who is your ideal client mm. and try to scratch under the surface to make sure that the messaging we come up with is in line with what you're looking for. Um, and then it's really, it really just looks like your typical onboarding, some, some calls to get everything set up and we get what we need from you. It's, it changes depending on the level of service you have with us. Um, but then once you get everything up and running, we have quarterly reviews to monitor and track success. How many, how many owner leads are you getting? Is there something that we can do to tweak the strategy to make it work better? Um, is everything going great? Do we need more testing? Um, so Marie mentioned continuous improvement and that's really our, our big focus. So what it's like to work with us is really um, having a person 
you have a person, you have a relationship, you have somebody that has your back looking at the metrics and then continually improving the campaign um, or telling you, hey, maybe this service isn't right for you. Maybe we should try something else. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't sure the best way to get everything that we do in a couple of sentences because there is, um, it really is, is a journey, but we try to take as much off of our clients' plates as we can. I think you've given us enough for uh, the listeners to want to at least engage to learn more. And I know that a lot of uh, Latchel customers listen to our podcast, of course, and we've set them up foundationally to be able to scale and do so with higher margins. And they're going to have a lot more marketing dollars to be spending. So I think for their benefit, Marie, maybe you can let our listeners know how should they get in touch with four and a half to make four and a half. I don't know if I said, I make that mistake sometimes, but fine. you can, you can say it however you want, whatever your heart tells you to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they want to, you know, reach out to us, start a conversation with our sales team, they could just send an email to sales at four and half.com or visit our website. Um, F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com, four and a half. Awesome. Thank you, Marie. And no one make the mistake I made. It's four and half. We have a read. Yeah, we have a redirect. So if you accidentally type four and a half, it's going to go to the right side. Only if you go to the website, if you type in sales at four and a half.com, that will go to no one. So sales (laughs) at four and a half. Dot com. Dot com. Yes. Go check it yes. out. Email, email Brittany, email Marie. They'll get you set up and you'll hopefully double your business. Fingers crossed. Well, thank you both for uh, coming on to the podcast. It was great to have you. Always an amazing conversation. I feel like we always run late and still have know, a million so more sorry. things to talk about. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. It's always great talking to you. So let's yeah. chat again soon. And of course, for everyone else tuning in, if you're interested in more topics on property management growth, scalability, how to be your best, head over to propertybrew.co and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we focus on industry innovations, all the growth tactics, all the best things to make you a high-performing property manager. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together. Maybe not but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks everyone. See you back next week.